You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network Classics Collection episode. This episode was originally released under our parent podcast, Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Waste your time. You know who he is. You can do nothing. Let me be the judge of that. Jeanette. I don't know where he is. Give me his name. His name? What use of the name? How many names have you had over the past seven centuries? Écoute, Nicola, you do not understand what you're dealing with here. I'm going to find him whether you help me or not. For your sake, I hope you don't. Just tell me. You've heard of him? His name, Jeanette. His name, among others, was Jack the Ripper. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for another episode of the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. This episode is Forever Night Season 2, Episode 4, Bad Blood. We put this episode on, and I got an amused little look on my face. And I kept it the whole episode. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to say this is a good episode. I started this one, and I said, is this the right one? And it's just, it's still just black scene. And Rachel says... Oh, well, if it is the right one, it should open up to two people walking down a sidewalk in a park. (laughs) And wouldn't you know... I was right! (laughs) Oh, come on. Like, I don't know the Jack the Ripper episode by heart. The Jack the Ripper episode. Second only and random, random person to include to the He Met Rasputin episode. What? (laughs) Oh, you wait. You wait. It's coming. Was Rasputin a vampire? I'm not telling you that because that would be a spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Which means yes. No, no, it means I am living a spoiler-free life right now, and I don't need you to push me. Okay? I have taken a vow. I have... Look, that's the theme of this episode. How far can you take your promises to yourself? And is it okay to break them if you're saving people? And are you in the wrong if you acted to maintain your own moral high ground and people suffered because of it? Mm. Hashtag spoiler free life. Okay. <laughs> that's not even remotely close to what we're. T- I mean, it is, that's the theme, but. Uh, they take it to a far deeper place, obviously, because it's forever night. And this is the depth that we have all been looking for for so long. And here it is in the Jack the Ripper episode. I'm, I'm lying. This is the, this is this is a funny episode, though. It's a good episode. Matt's just like, why are you rambling? It's because I'm so excited to talk about this episode with you. Before we get started, I just want to take a few minutes because I never ask for anything and I love you guys all so much. But if you listen to us on a podcast platform that allows you to rate or review, if you could take a few minutes and rate and review us, that would be 
so nice. And I would be so thankful. You know I would be. Even if I got one, I'd be like, we got one! <laughs> Somebody rated it! Um, you know, just, I never ask. So I thought I'd just put that out into the universe today. Just drop us a five-star review. Just five stars. You don't even have to type anything. Or subscribe. All of that stuff gets us, gets us pushed up the algorithm. Which gets more people to listen to us so we can spread the good word of Forever Night. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's like, well, good. Okay. So What's we, she going on about? So we do open to two people walking in the park, as suggested. And this woman actually comes back. She gets recycled as an actress in a later episode. Um, but Danny McBride isn't going to come back. I'm just kidding. It's not Danny <laughs> McBride, but it straight up looks like Danny it McBride. It looks like him. It yeah. does. Um, it really does. And it sounds like him. So I'm just going to assume that this is actually Danny McBride in disguise. Maybe it's Danny McBride's dad. He's supposed to be a football player, which is like a throwaway line that we have later. Where they're like, oh, what because is the death of one of our he's supposed to be big players? and strong. Oh, okay. Well, he does start, well, they're talking. They're talking as they're walking. And they're talking about a female author. And he's making a crack about, oh, yeah, I'm a fan of her lasagna recipe. And she's like, shut up. She's a, like a feminist icon. Hey, if your guy's making fun of your feminist icon and saying that she needs to spend more time in the kitchen, that's a red flag. Just throwing that out Totally there. a red flag. Um, but apparently she's there because his mullet is just too hot. It's to, on point. It's on point. Because they start making out. And as they're making out, somebody's stalking them through the bushes. And then all of a sudden, Danny McBride gets nabbed. And the woman is in the car. And she's screaming. And blood is getting thrown on the car. And shit's happening. Oh, but before that, he it's a just rough say, night. she's like, I think I heard something. He's like, no, you didn't hear anything. Make out with me some more. And she's like, no, I really think I heard something. And he goes, well, it's either a dog or Camille Paglia. Who's the feminist author yeah. that they were talking about before? <laughs> like a Canadian feminist author. Which, if you haven't seen any interviews with Camille Paglia, go on YouTube, look up Camille Paglia. She's amazing. But then we cut to Natalie. And Natalie is talking into her tape recorder well, about... And we can see the sheet over a body that is not quite body shaped. Yeah, I was going to say chunks of body is what I have written in here. Um, but this guy's pretty messed up. She says there's possible predation, meaning he got gnawed on. Eating. Eating, yeah. Eating. E yeah. He got eated. <laughs> Somebody eated him. And not just the vampire way where we like eat fluids oh this i'm sorry there's not gonna try to say that again where we just drink his blood but like somebody munched on this guy um yeah. specifically the abdomen yeah and i have decided that every one of these episodes that has a random skanky subplot we're gonna call it the skanky subplot so the skanky subplot for this episode is skanky versus the robinson report yes because that's what nick and skanky are talking about while natalie's doing her job they're just leaning over on her work desk. And Nick is like, why are we avoiding Cohen again? And Skanky's like, well, you remember the Robinson report? Yeah, I didn't do that report. And for some reason, now she needs it, even though she's not going to read it. And Nick's like, just do it. And he's like, I know, but it's so boring. I, I can sympathize. Yeah. So Skanky's, that's it. This is Skanky's subplot for the episode. Last week, it was his diet. This week, it is the Robinson report. 
And they go back to, you know, they, they talk to Natalie a little bit about it. And she's like, you know what? I don't really want to speculate with this about this with you guys. I don't want to, I don't want to talk shop right now because this dude's fucked up and I don't want to know what ate him. Okay, cool. And they're like, yeah, it's fair. And so Grace comes in and she's like, skanky. Cohen wants you back at the precinct. As uh, ASAP. ASAP. And so they head back to the precinct. And when they get there, Skanky runs off to hide in the bathroom. I don't know what. Because <laughs> then Nick goes into Cohen's office and we meet Inspector Liam O'Neill. Detective Knight, this is Chief Inspector O'Neill, Dublin CID. Oh, how do you do, Liam, please? Nick. The inspector's interested in the Volak murder. I flew here as soon as I heard. You have a six foot four, 220 pound football player literally torn to pieces. How and why, don't know. You do have a witness to the actual crime, only she didn't see the murderer. Well, it doesn't look as if I'm needed here. He of the Irish accent, apparently. Chief Inspector O'Neill of Ireland. <laughs> um, if you are offended by bad Irish accents... This was not the episode for you, and this is probably not the episode of Strange and Beautiful Book Club for you, because I guarantee you it's probably going to come out a couple of times. Um, yeah, so the notable thing here is this actor is dating Catherine Disher, or the actress who plays Natalie, right about now. So they are flirting Yeah, the because whole time. they're actually together. In fact, she has his baby. Like, Oh, it's IRL. his baby. Yeah. Okay. And he plays the voice of Professor X in the X-Men animated cartoon. And she plays the voice of Jean Grey. So Professor X and Jean Grey. They worked together a lot. Nat and Inspector O'Neill. So it lends a little bit of extra, ha, 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 I have insider information to a couple of their lines. So it's just funny to keep that in mind while they're talking. Because sometimes they're getting into some pretty heavy flirting. And it's because they're actually together. Yeah. And this season, Catherine Disher, Natalie, is pregnant. So she wears a lot of blousy tops. Yeah. And that's because she's in this relationship with this guy. Yeah. Yeah. She's actually pregnant. She loses a baby at some point and then she gets pregnant again. But the inspector is there from Interpol because this isn't an isolated event. They can tell by just this one murder that happened like two hours ago that this guy is a serial killer hey chief inspectors move fast yeah he's on it he was like what's that my spider sense is tingling <laughs> i sense it from around the globe i flew here i took the half hour concord from <laughs> from dublin to here um yeah i don't know was the concord retired yet i don't know if the concord had started in 1993 or no oh sure it had. All right, first flight of the Concorde. Flight of the Concorde? Yeah. Was that something? Flight of the... I don't know. Flight of the Valkyries. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. First flight of the Concorde was in 1969, mm. but the introduction was in 1976. Maybe that's Probably for public. Airlines probably yeah. started flying them. And then it was retired in 2003. Well, yep. He hopped the Concorde from Dublin. To Toronto. That's what this dude did. Because he is there real, real fast. Because they picked this guy up. They interviewed the lady. They took her to the coroner's office. And he was waiting. 
in Cohen's office. And Cohen's like, so O'Neill, meet Knight. Knight, meet O'Neill. Y'all are working together. I'm not going to micromanage this shit. I got to go take a bath. And we mentioned this bath so many times it's wildly uncomfortable. Right. I, I it feel keeps like coming up. I, I never want to be like, oh, I got to go home and take a hot soap bath because I don't want to run the risk that anybody is picturing me naked. Right. It, it, <laughs> Cohen's totally throwing that vibe. Like, I am trying to explain things over and over again such that the image of me getting naked in a bathtub is stuck in your head. Well, I think this is like, okay, so we have a very well, male she's, show. She's prioritizing self-care. Yeah, we have a very male show. And we are trying to write a woman in a position of authority. And so I think from the male writer's perspective, they are trying to make her seem more feminine. And something like wanting to go home to take a hot bath could objectively be seen as something feminine. So I guess that would be my expectation because we say it like four times, three at least. But we meet Bridget Hellman, who is our red shirt, our rookie red shirt for this episode. We all knew she was going to die, right? I mean, no, because sometimes these side characters show up and then they just disappear and they're never. That's true. That's fair. On again. That's fair. I'm sorry. Do you didn't know? I didn't know. Yeah. She well, gets I, a lot I, of character for development for somebody who gets just like off at the end. Right. Yeah. Right. So O'Neill is talking to Knight after we've met Bridget and Cohen has left and Bridget's now on their team because Knight does this little, oh, it's so cute that she wants to be on it's our team. It's time for her to get her feet wet. Sure, that's fine. It's fine. What, what could possibly go wrong with putting her as her first case? Somebody who is capable of lifting a football player and eating parts of them. But that's fine. It's fine. And O'Neill is talking to uh, Knight about his ground rules. And this is when Nick is like, oh, yeah, okay, so are you authorized to carry a gun? Would you like me to get you one? I can get you one from the department. Which is, it's a fair question. You're here. You couldn't bring one, one right, with you, you on the airplane. you couldn't travel with one. Yeah, yeah, so would you like us to issue one here? And this is our first clue that O'Neill may be more with it in terms of supernatural knowledge than your average inspector. Because he's like... You know what? I'm good because I don't think a gun is going to help us very much right now. I have to ask you this. Are you registered to carry a gun because the department can get you one? Well, that's very kind of you, but no, no. Oh, that's right. You don't uh, carry one back home. No, it's not that. It's just that I'm quite sure in this particular case, uh, a gun wouldn't be of any use. And then he gives Nick a significant look and Nick is like, that's why would anybody say that? I don't get it. I mean, I think he gets it pretty quick, but he's just like, maybe I'm reading the situation wrong. Right. Maybe I'm being paranoid. Right. He definitely interprets it as a gun doesn't hurt something supernatural. Right. Uh, but his first instinct is to deny that jump to conclusion. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's ridiculous. Oh, hold on. People don't talk about that. No, no, no. And so now we see our second victim. And he is wearing a full body white tracksuit. It's very so, of the era. 90s. <laughs> he stops to like check his pulse, even though as Matt noted, he's not looking at a watch. So how is he tracking his pulse? Right. How's he 
How's he measuring his Listen, pulse if he doesn't have if a If you time? have leveled up enough as a runner that you can wear a full body tracksuit, you have an internal clock that just keeps time. So he's just checking his, his heart rate against his internal his internal clock. Yeah. If you say so. Right. Because he's like legendary. As, as someone level. who's spent a lot of time running. Who, me? (laughs) (laughs) Running for responsibility, baby. (laughs) You run towards responsibility. That's true. So anyway, Skanky is talking to O'Neill, and he's trying to like, hey, we could be friends. Like, I'm going to relate to you. He's Skanky relates to people anecdotally. He does a lot of anecdotal conversation, which is a uh, neuro spicy trait. Just want to put that out there. So he's talking about how Myra's had an aunt who had a husband who was from, from Dublin from Dublin by way of Athens. Yeah. <laughs> so every St. Patrick's Day, they get together and dye the ouzo green. <laughs> you know, my wife had an aunt who married this guy from Dublin by way of Athens. That's an interesting mess. Oh, yeah. Every St. Patty's Day, we'd all get together and dye the ouzo green. We got another one. Which uh, Rachel explained ouzo is some kind of Yeah, Rus- vodka is to Russian as ouzo is, ouzo is to Greek. Okay. So Greek... You know, in my big fat Greek wedding, that's what they drink. Like uh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So they're looking at the uh, the second body. They're at the second body crime scene. And the Nick, inspector notes. Yeah. He's like, where did all the no blood, blood go? Where, where do you think it went, Nick? And Nick's like, um, how should I know? <laughs> and the inspector's like, hmm, thought you would have some of that, some idea. I don't know. A man's body is torn asunder and yet there's only a few drops of blood. So where did it go? How would I know? Oh, I thought you might have a few ideas. This is consistent. Thought you might know what was up with this. And Nick's like, oh, no. And then he, what? Why me? What? No way. Right. And then we do this really interesting thing. This like, everybody had to be on it with the cues because yeah, we were all crossing in between. And yeah. In front of each other. It kind of reminded me of the scene the camera in view and out for I have sinned when they're in the hallway. And we have all these little oh, interactions yes. on the hallway, and everyone's having to walk up and down sides of the hallway to be in the position. Yeah, and the, for the like next Nick stop. walks t- down the hallway towards the camera, and then yeah. goes off to the side. But then he comes in the hallway. Behind well, he ends everybody. up walking back behind everybody along the back side. Yeah. yeah. Like, so the detector, the inspector, turns and leaves, and just as he does that, Natalie walks in, and Natalie's like, "What was that all about?" And Nick's and it's like, all very "I don't know." Smooth. Yeah, and they Natalie goes, job. you know, this this looks like, and Nick's like, I know what it looks like, Natalie. I know what it looks like, okay? And so Natalie turns, and as she so turns, she's like, Hellman, okay, fine, I'll back it off. Right, and as she turns, Hellman walks up, and Hellman's like nauseous. And so we have a moment with, with Hellman, and then we end up back with Nick, and Nick's like, hey, Natalie, can you take all these people home? Like, we carpooled here, but I'm about to dip, so can you pick up the slack? And Natalie's like, yeah, where are you going to go? And he's like... To get answers. And that means Jeanette. I gotta go see Jeanette. Um, Which I called this one. So you know that this guy is sniffing around your vampire trail and looking for anything unusual and supernatural. He has made that abundantly clear at this point. Or if he hasn't made it abundantly clear, it's clear enough that maybe one would warrant a little bit of extra caution. But Nick is like... Yeah, no, I'm sorry. I'm just going to do what I normally do, and I'm really just not going to. I'm not going to worry about that because he just leaves. Although he must drive because he doesn't leave his car. They're riding in Natalie's car. 
when they leave the crime scene. Right, everybody else. Yeah, <clears throat> but he does. He fucks off to the Raven, as usual. And so would I if Jeanette was wearing this adorable little updo with these black tassel earrings. And she's got really good makeup. Like, this makeup is really working with her face. <laughs> she just looks really nice. And she's got, like, one curl falling down the side. Again, we have to appreciate these moments when they come now because hit and miss. And Nick is like, well, do you know who it is? And she's like, listen, I know who it is, and you're not going to believe me. Um, why don't you just let it go? And Nick's like, oh, I can't let it go. I'm on the case. <laughs> and so Jeanette's well, like. Well, Nick, you let it go last time. Yeah, I know. Oh, you didn't say that last time, <laughs> which is, well, we're not quite there yet. But she tells him, um, you know him by lots of different names, but the one you're probably going to recognize most is Jack the Ripper. Bum, bum. They did not bury the lead. We know this is Jack the Ripper in the first 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like this would be a more interesting episode if we never explicitly name him as Jack the Ripper. Mm. If we'd just been like, he's the demon barber of Fleet Street or something. If we just like obfuscated, you know, if we'd kept dropping enough significant hints that if you were hip to the Ripper stuff, you could have put it together. A Ripper Hipper? They're called Ripperologists. I am not yeah, a Ripperologist. Whatever. I'm not even remotely a, ripper a Ripperologist. Hipper. I had to look up the years that Jack the Ripper, the year that Jack the Ripper was active. So I, I'm not going to claim any kind of Jack the Ripper knowledge. In fact, I listened to the podcast by Hallie Rubenhold, the one about just the women. She doesn't talk about Jack the Ripper, who could have been Jack the Ripper, anything like that. She specifically speaks about the women that he killed, and it is an excellent podcast and i'll put a link to it in the show notes but it doesn't tell you anything about jack the ripper because she doesn't care she was just about like these women were not who they've been they've been just they've reduced. been cast into this mold they've been reduced to this list of names and that's unfair which it is but and then we cut back to natalie and natalie is with o'neill and skanky and she's taking them home but apparently skanky's got Skanky's hangry. I don't know. Because <laughs> they stop at like a, a food truck. Yeah, a hot dog vendor. And Skanky's like, two chili dogs, a couple of orders of fries, uh, you know, a whole bunch of food and a cream soda. And then he looks over and he's like, anybody else want something? And nobody wants anything. Right, because this all is for him. And they give him a look and he goes, okay, make it a diet cream soda. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where we get some heavy O'Neill flirting with Nat. Natalie, because she's like, oh, spare me your Irish charm. I've had my shots, but I'm <laughs> and I'm immune. Green around the gills, I suppose, but otherwise okay. Good. I must say you make a pleasant change from the uh, usual medical examiners I'm used to dealing with. Really? How so? Well, for a start, you're young, beautiful, and you don't smoke cigars. Hey, you can spare me the Irish charm, O'Neill. I've had my shots. I'm immune. I wish you stating the facts. You guys give me a hand here. And he's like, yeah, okay, so Nick left abruptly. Um, I, I was really hoping to see him again, but he just kind of blew off or whatever. And, and Skanky's Skanky, just chomping away. Yeah, Skanky goes, yeah, he does that. Get used to it. Oh, this is before they get in the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Skanky confirms it. He's like, yeah, he does that all the time. Oh, yeah, and then he asks a couple 
question, probing questions about yeah. Nick. He's like, oh, does Nick live alone? Is he married? And Skanky goes, Nick married? Not, Not in, in my, my lifetime. lifetime. <laughs> Skanky. Which Matt pointed out, and it's true, this is very much like the unreality TV episode where Skanky was unwittingly confirming somebody's suspicions. By right, just... somebody external asking probing questions about yeah. Nick and Skanky just... Giving it away, yeah. Like giving oh, away, I've like, been waiting all of for these suspicious to ask me this. stories and anecdotes about Nick. That the way the Skanky tells it, it's really not hard to come to some hard conclusions, right? And Skanky is just like, it's all out of context for Skanky. He has nothing, no, no context to put it in. So he's right. like, yeah, he lives alone. Yeah, he just leaves abruptly and randomly. To him, that's just Nick. Nick's right. just weird. Right. It's Nick not just the most thing. significant pieces of information about Nick. Right. Because I think Skanky has just learned not to question at this point. And they get back in the car. And this is when Skanky is eating his chili dog, which John Kapalos must have had so much fun. It looks like so much fun because he's always just the guy in the background eating a hot dog, having a good day, getting the pithy dialogue. Um, he does get some, well, we'll get to it at the end of this, but um, he's just enjoying himself, answering questions every once in a while. But O'Neill is like, oh, you know, we Irish are a strange breed. You know, you We're guys rely on your, culture. You guys rely on your technology, but we still believe in leprechauns and shit. And Skanky's like, leprechauns? Seriously? And he's like, well, you know, don't sell the little folks short, but like the boogeyman. Yeah, we absolutely believe in the boogeyman. And then he just looks straight at Natalie and he's like, do you believe in vampires? <laughs> and Zero <laughs> chill. As much chill as Nick. Maybe they get the chill sucked out of them. Maybe that's what they lose, right? They lose the capacity to handle guilt and they lose the ability to chill when necessary to like feather this into a conversation because Natalie's like, what? And she turns to look at him and turns the wheel at the same time and ends up swerving into the other lane and having to swerve back. And Skanky drops his <laughs> drops his chili dog. He's like, oh, I dropped my chili dog. I think it rolled up front. He's like, O'Neill, look by your feet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. So this is where I looked up Jack the Ripper, the date, because he's only active for like a summer in, right. in 1888. Because... Pretty soon, we go to a flashback because Jeanette and and Nick are still talking. And Jeanette's like, well, you remember when this guy was, like, created? You were there, remember? Like, uh, let me lead you through this memory of the shit that went down. And so we cut to a memory of LaCroix. And LaCroix has, like, vampire indigestion. Like, he ate somebody so evil. Okay, but that's the least important part of this scene. <laughs> Please enlighten us. Which is Jeanette leaned over him <laughs> in a revealing dress. Yes. And yeah. at one point, she even walks around him so that she's facing towards the camera again. As get... the camera pans around. Yeah. And so we get Matt was like, she knew we couldn't look down her shirt anymore. And so she walked around to make sure we could. <laughs> you, thank you. Just, I'm just revealing You the know male what? Gaze. I love your male perspective, and I really appreciate having it here. And thank you. Thank you. I did not even notice her boobs in this scene. So I hey. noticed her hair, but I didn't see her boobs. So thank you ever so much. 
But LaCroix does have indigestion, and Jeanette's boobs are not helping with that because she apparently needs to go get him fresh blood to cleanse him of this taint. And because he got some toxic got, life force. Oh, whatever. It's just so evil. It's even eviler than LaCroix, apparently. It's gross evil. I don't know. And they've called Nick, and Nick has shown up. And Jeanette's like, See, I told you he would come. And Nick's like, The fuck you want? <laughs> like, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm leaving tomorrow. And they're like, Well, you know, Nick, Nick, help us because LaCroix bit this dude. He couldn't finish him because he was like spoiled or whatever. Right. Can you go and kill, like, make sure he's dead because we don't want him coming back? Right. And you can tell how out of it LaCroix is because he only uses the name Nicholas. Yeah. And he really enunciates the is. <laughs> He's like, please, Nicholas. Um, and it's implied that Nick is not going to kill Jack the Ripper because he had promised, he had vowed to never kill again. Right, And this is right around 100 years ago. Right. So Jack the Ripper was active in 1888. We have established that the whole Sylvain thing that happened in Love You to Death was a hundred years ago. Around a hundred years ago. Which would put it like 1990-ish. Right, but maybe round up, maybe it was 105 years ago. Yeah, so we're right around, we're close to, if not almost exactly around the time that Nick was like, fuck you. Which means either this was an accident, this was serendipity, that they picked Jack the Ripper, or someone was like, okay, we need something that happens right around the time Nick is about to fuck off from LaCroix, who was some you know, notorious villain around that time period. I would also like that to we take... could uh, uh, put together with Nick at this time. I would also like to take this moment to thank you. For giving this show way more credit <laughs> than it really deserves. This is serendipity. This is pure chance. This was like, hey guys, what if we had, now I'm spitballing here. I am spitballing a Jack the Ripper episode. And they were like, oh shit. What if we made Jack the Ripper a vampire? And everyone's like, sold, put it on the piece of paper. Let's do this. And it's Nick's fault. And it's Nick's fault. Everything's Nick's fault. That's fine. We don't even need to write that down. They just took a sticky off a previous episode <laughs> and stuck it on this episode. And they're like, well, this is right about that. Like, what was the one that we did with the ballerina? And they're like, oh, yeah, maybe we could have it. Like, he won't kill the guy. And everyone will be really surprised that Nick is being moral and won't kill somebody. And they were like, yeah. So they took two stickies off a previous episode <laughs> and stuck them on this episode. <clears throat> but anyway, I thank you very much for that. For that little You're bit welcome. of credit. But we established that they want Nick to go kill this guy. Jeanette cannot go kill this guy because she has to get fresh blood for LaCroix. Because Nicholas won't do it. Because And they're like, Nicholas has to do it. He's the only one who can do it. No, there's no one else in the city we can call on for help. Absolutely zero. Not, nobody. Not even the enforcers. And even though LaCroix is the one who picked this guy and bit this guy and left this guy alive, it will be Nick's fault that he is not dead. Of course it's Nick's fault. So thank you. End of, I have no further notes. <laughs> <laughs> so we come back to the present and it's sunrise. And we know that because we get to see a picture of the sunrise. And we see a cab arriving at a hotel. And this is O'Neill. And he's going into his hotel room, which is so much of a set. It doesn't even have a pretend ceiling. 
<laughs> the ceiling on this hotel room is just not there. It's literally like 10 feet tall. They just did that so they could do like a low angle and see him mm-hmm. without seeing up above the top. But we didn't put a ceiling in it because it didn't matter. We were going to use this once and then we were going to move on. And they tried to give us some scale, some height to the walls by putting like pictures over the bed. But the pictures are like freakishly high above the bed. So it ends up just elongating the room. Anyway, that's just a note. And he's drinking like alcohol of some kind. And he opens the windows. (laughs) So he opens the windows. It's like water. He opens the window and he's like, <laughs> and we're like, and he grabs his neck. And we're like, oh shit, he's a vampire too. What's up with O'Neill? And then we get O'Neill's flashback, bum, bum, bum. about how he was attacked as a child and he got like cleansed, but he got to be just vampire enough that he can't stand to be out in full daylight, and he can sense them. He can also touch crosses. Yeah, he can also touch crosses. So he's not vampire. He's Dampier, maybe? Vampire light. Vampire light. Yes, he's vampire, sort of. He's vampire adjacent. Let's put it that <laughs> way. <laughs> uh, and meanwhile, Natalie comes to see Nick. And I love how she's like, oh, I'm having a really hard day. Do you have coffee? And he's like, yeah, it's under the sink. Oh, first she says, are you awake? And he goes, well, to be awake, I'd have to have gone to sleep first. Did uh, I wake I ho- you? Yeah. I hope I didn't yeah. wake you up. She's, no, I haven't been asleep. And she's like, okay, well, where's the coffee? He goes, under the sink. And she's like, under Ew. the sink. Gross. And he's like, um, when do I drink it? I hope I didn't wake you. I'd have to be asleep first. Uh, I need coffee. Under the sink. You keep coffee under the sink? That is so gross. Hey, when do I drink it? I don't care. You could have put it in the refrigerator. Jeez. Come on. This feels like a subtle... It might get... Yeah, it might encourage Natalie to come. No, it might um, get the coffee aroma mixed in with his blood. Oh, well, no. Glass is non-porous. If he was storing his blood in plastic Hold on, hold on. That's only if they're corked. But a lot of times, he has one bottle that's uncorked. No, he corks it. That's He always pulls Not it out with his teeth. Time. Not every time. All right, fine. Well, we're going to table this discussion for later. And then we get more Skanky versus the Robinson Report, which is our Skanky subplot of the episode. Because Skanky still isn't working on the Robinson Report, blah, blah, blah. I can sympathize. Yeah. And Nick, <laughs> just gonna say that every I'm, time. <laughs> I'm a master procrastinator. And Nick is like, okay, well, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna do some vampire stuff because I want to get this wrapped up. I want to get O'Neill out of my hair. I just want to be done with this. Plus, Jack the Ripper, what the shit? So he goes back to the to the crime scene, and he's looking around with his night vision, and apparently he can see differently textured soil. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, because he just looks down and he's like, oh, look, there's stuff in the dirt. Weird stuff in the dirt that doesn't belong with the dirt. And he can tell that with his night vision. And then we go back to the morgue. We do a lot of jumping around in this episode. I think because we have like characters that are working autonomously. Yeah. It's not Skanky and Nick versus the bad guy. It's like O'Neill and Bridget or Hellman. O'Neill and Hellman. And then like... Natalie Skanky and O'Neill get a scene and 
Anyway, we have a lot of independently operating units here because Liam and Bridget are back at the at the priest. No, the morgue. And they're like bonding over the corpses because they're in the refrigerated room with them. And Hellman is clearly uncomfortable. And O'Neill's like, it's cool. Like the day you're not uncomfortable, like you'll get over the being nauseous and stuff part. But the day you can walk in here and not give a shit that these people are in pieces, you got to retire. You're That's done. when you've been a copper too long. <laughs> <laughs> I choked on my <laughs> You're welcome. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> and then they're leaving. And they like lean against the the autopsy table. And he pulls out a cross just out of his pocket. And he's like, do me a favor. Wear this the entire time I'm here. And she's like. Day and night. She's like, wow, that's not weird at all. Thank you so much. <laughs> gives him a peck on the cheek. Yeah, and gives him a kiss on the cheek right when Nick and Skanky it's walk It's the in. Irish charm. It is. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing it as long as you keep reacting like that. <laughs> and here's where I want to point out. I pointed out monster hands um, when we talked in 1966. Like he picks up the boulder and then Nick does this thing with his hands where he has like really long fingers. So if he leaves them tensed, they stay in like monster finger position. Right. So Garrett when Davies, Gare, when his GWD, GWD, when he is at rest, when his hands are at rest and he's delivering a line, but his hands don't have anything particular to do, he does this thing where he cups one hand in the other and he massages his palm. And he does it every single time his hands are idle or he's chatting with somebody. He sits and he rubs his palm with the opposite hand. And I, so I do that a lot. Too. Now I need everybody to notice that. Okay. You're welcome. <clears throat> but they leave because O'Neill's like, you know what, actually, I think I want to talk to the girlfriend again. And Skanky's like, we talked to the girlfriend. Why are you going to talk to the girlfriend? Just read her statement. He's like, you know what, sometimes I really like to get a feel for people. And then he just stares at Nick. And Nick's like, okay, so we're going to leave. And so they take Hellman and they leave to go do some further investigating because they're going to go get soil samples at the crime scene. For no reason. I wonder how Nick pitched that. Was he like, hey, Skanky, what do you think about soil samples? And Skanky was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why would we take soil samples? Why would we take soil samples? And Nick was like, The bodies well, were not on dirt. I don't know. I just like feel like we should. And Skanky probably thought, this is one of his things, one of his like supernatural creature things where he's trying to get me to cooperate, but he can't quite tell me how he knows. So I should just go with it. And if they, I go with it, this will be a solid lead. Yeah, so I'm just going to go with it. And so Hellman and Skanky and Nick are all in the car because they're headed to get some soil samples. And they're ribbing her about kissing O'Neill. And she's like, <laughs> she's like, come on, guys. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. And, <laughs> and Skanky's like, oh, yeah, you're just partners like me and Nick. He's like, Nick, you ever kissed me? <laughs> Nick's like, uh, not that you remember. <laughs> I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> but she ends up flashing the cross. She's like, look, he gave me this. And she holds the cross up in front of Nick's face. And Nick does the swerve thing. And Skanky's like, what the shit? Has everyone forgotten how to drive? Because this is the second time this has happened to Skanky in this episode. And Nick literally goes, sorry, squirrel. <laughs> 
sudden? Sorry. Squirrel. <laughs> the least convincing explanation just ever. Like, you're not going to get one. Just let it go. It's fine. And it turns out O'Neill is not there to talk to the girlfriend. He's there to go through Nick's desk. Uh-oh. And he finds the Raven matchbook. And it leads me to wonder, did she buy it from a catalog called Plot Devices Are Us? <laughs> because this is the second episode out of the last two episodes <laughs> that we have hey, used the continuity. Raven matchbook. That's true. That's true. And he's like, oh, snap. That sounds like a vampire club name. Only a vampire would name a club the Raven. And so he leaves to go to or the Raven. Or maybe an Odin fan club. You well, that what? would probably be the Ravens. I use I use a algorithm on our audio editing software that erases long periods of silence. And sometimes I feel like we really lose out on the long periods of me just staring at you incredulously. <laughs> <laughs> The dramatic pauses. But he goes to the Raven. And he doesn't even pretend to, like, goth it up. He just goes in his, like, stereotypical Irishman suit that he's wearing. And he walks up to the bar, and it's Miklos. And this is Miklos. Miklos's, yeah. like, third or fourth episode? Fourth, I think. I think he's been in every episode yeah. this season. And he walks up and talks to Miklos. And he's like, hey, I'm a friend of Nick's. And Miklos is like, well, that, okay, sure. Do, do, do you want anything to drink? What can I get for you? And he's like, oh, I'm just here for information. And he's like, what you buying? Because information doesn't pay the bills. And he's like, fine, I'll have a beer with lime. Port with lime or lager, lager with lime. and lime, yeah. And he's like, okay, I'll have a waitress bring it over to you. So he's like. Get off my bar. Get off. <laughs> so he walks over and he's like standing at this little table that's wrapped around a pillar. And this. Poor waitress walks up and she gives it to him. She's like, that'll be four bucks. And he's like, I'm a friend of Nick's. And she's like, um, a friend of Nick Knight. That's nice. Okay, who's that? That's nice. And so he gives her money and she's just like, uh, okay. Except he like dismissively just throws it on the table. Right. While maintaining eye contact like, with her. Like he's trying to play, he's trying to, he's trying to establish dominance. But this isn't the moment. Because then he pulls out his cross and he like, Holds it up in her face, like Wiggles menaces it next to her, her with it, and she's yeah. like, "What? What? What? My God! What? What and are you doing, Miklos?" I know Miklos comes over and he like pushes it on his forehead, which I guess answers the question of whether or not Miklos is a vampire, unless he's not a Christian vampire, right? Yeah. Um, and so he he's like, ah, uh, what are you doing? Because it doesn't burn him at You're all. You're out of here. And he's like, oh, um, There's yeah, been a misunderstanding. Um, I'm really sorry. And during this whole scene, Jeanette is in the background. Walking back and forth. Yeah, kinda. like stalking O'Neill. And it's really well done. This is another one of those scenes where everybody had to be on cue. Because right. we're all doing different things in the foreground and the background. It's not just extras milling around. Jeanette is moving through the background. And she's wearing this red velvet dress. And this red velvet dress makes several appearances. And it looks fabulous, but heavy. All I can imagine is how heavy this stretch velvet is. Because it's floor length. And that is a heavy fabric. And it looks heavy when she's moving in it. But she walks up as soon as he leaves. And. Right. Once she finishes her like 
leopard stalking through the yeah. background. And the waitress is like, what was that? And Jeanette just goes, must have been a Jehovah's Witness. What's that all about? Must be a Jehovah's Witness. Telephone. <laughs> <laughs> the timing's great on that. And the, the attitude that Jeanette has where she just throws out that line and then continues on. Yep, and she walks over to the bar. She's like, get me a phone. And so they put a phone on the bar. And one of the people standing at the bar turns, and it's LaCroix. <gasps> and LaCroix's like, get him here just before sunrise. <laughs> and Jeanette's like, oh, I'm so glad you're back, LaCroix. I've really been, I've really missed being a pawn in all of your schemes to fuck with Nicholas. <laughs> like, how, what about me, Dad? <laughs> what about me? <laughs> I really do like fucking with Nicholas on a weekly basis, but the way you're making me do it is way different than how I want to be doing it. Yeah, this sucks. This sucks. <laughs> why are we? Are... <laughs> just so we. That's kind why all of... the tension's gone. So in a fate worse than because death, because Lacroix is now interfering. Exactly. So in a fate worse than death, we really explored this. Maybe Jeanette's not as happy to have him back as you would think, and I feel like we just reinforced that with the way she's acting through this whole episode because she feels like a reluctant participant in mm -hmm. all of this. Like, he gave me just enough information to tell you to get you on the trail, and I'm going to do it, but only because I don't want to be the one that, I don't want to be you. I don't want to be the one that gets fucked with for 800 years. And I'm mad about it, but I'm just going to, uh, whatever. Whatever, it's fine. Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's just, just, like, mad about it. Um, But they get him there. Uh, he gets like a message at the station and he hands off his little Ziploc baggies full of dirt. Right. To, he's like, to Skanky, get this turned in for yeah, me. Yeah. He's like, sign me go. out, turn this in for me. I got to go. And so he leaves and he shows up at the Raven right before sunrise. And he walks up to the bar and she's like, would you like a drink, Nicholas? And he goes, it's just before sunrise. And she's like, that's never stopped you before. <laughs> and then he hears the violin playing. Oh, and no. he's like, oh my God, is dad here? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's in the back, the back Fuck. room. Fuck. And so he walks in the back room, and he has his his violin. Is this a violin? What is this thing that he plays? Because he holds it down, and it's kind of under his armpit. It's not under his chin. Maybe it's an ancient Egyptian violin. Well, is it the violin that he played with Nero while Rome burned? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. It sounds like a synthesizer violin. Synthesizer violin, so I have no idea. But he's like, LaCroix, what, what the fuck? And LaCroix's like, listen, um, you made a mistake, and I've forgiven you for it, but your mistake- Even though it was my mistake. No, 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 no. You made a mistake. <laughs> um, you didn't continue killing the guy I should have kept killing. But that makes it your fault because I asked you to do it and you didn't. <laughs> so, you know, I've taken matters into my own hands and I've decided to help you to help you. And I'm killing two birds with one stone. We're right, because get... you've also been hanging out with this hunter. Yeah. So there's a vampire hunter. We all want him dead. It's cool. It's fine. I'm just going to take that as rote. And there's Jack the Ripper, whom we all also want dead. And so I'm going to pit them against each other. And they're going to kill each other. And it's going to be fucking epic. <laughs> Nick is like, what? 
what? <laughs> and this is when he pulls out the fairy dust, which is the soybean paste that he he planted at the scene. Yeah, and, and on so the bodies. He does this thing where he like drizzles. He has like a ton of it. He has like a quarter right. cup in his hand. And he like drizzles <laughs> it in front of Nick's face. And there's actually a blooper here where he accidentally gets some on Gare's face. And Gare like <laughs> like sneezes because it's like dust in his face. And they both start laughing. And I think about that every time I watch this scene. But it should be serious, I guess, because it's going to get people killed. So he drizzles it in front of him. And Nick is like, oh, my God, why are you like this? And this is what Nicholas <laughs> is like. Laquan goes, Nicholas, I am doing this for you. <laughs> because, again, Laquan does not see himself as the villain. In LaCroix's eyes. He sees himself as the protective father. Yeah, he is the good guy. He's doing everything he can to protect his son and daughter against their will if necessary. And in this situation, he is. There's this hunter who's been sniffing around Nicholas. There's this bad vampire that's bringing attention to the community that Jeanette has built and he's going to get rid of them both and they're going to be so fucking thankful that they'll be they, they'll come right back to him and everything will be like it was never before okay <laughs> like he, for the first two weeks after Nick died that's the moment he's trying to recapture that honeymoon period but I just love it because last episode when we had Stranger Than Fiction and he did his like Nicholas at the end in the most dad voice ever and then in this one we get the Nicholas I am doing this for you which I feel like I said this morning <laughs> <laughs> when I made spiral noodles instead of spaghetti noodles and everybody got mad at me and I was like I'm not making more noodles I've already made the, noodles this, this has transitioned to making breakfast for the kids this morning i'm sorry that I, I was channeling my inner lacroix that i had to channel this morning when i was like i'm not making another type of noodle if you don't like the noodle i've made then you starve <laughs> <laughs> but he actually calls him clever boy again because nick calls the oh my god you used me as a pawn in your scheme to get the hunter to the place where this guy's resting and lacroix's like Clever boy. Figured it out fast this time. Which is what he called him at the end of Stranger Than Fiction, too, when he hypnotized the lady. But this is the part where it starts to go a little off the rails. We've been pretty funny. And this is the part where it's like, I'm sorry, what is happening? Because Natalie walks in and she confirms that this is old soybean dust. It's several years old. And it has a high it moisture It has an content. high moisture content and pitting that suggests it's from an abandoned building. And Cohen is like, oh, there's that abandoned mill, the Keys, Qu Queen Key Mill or whatever. She's like, oh, yeah, that's been abandoned for just the right amount of time. Maybe he's there. And so Hellman's like, well, I want to go search it. And she's like, uh, okay, fine. Why don't you take Skanky? So she gets Skanky. And Natalie's like, um, I really think we should wait. I really think we should wait for Knight and O'Neill to get here. And they're both like, it's so cute that she wants to go and search this by herself. Just let her have this. Let her it's down fine. easy. Let her down when easy. nothing is there. Yeah. It's, there is literally no reason to suspect that this giant abandoned industrial warehouse is not harboring something like a fugitive, like a serial killer. The only reason they're dismissing it is because it's the 
female detective. Yeah, because it's Hellman's well, it, idea. I think it's really because she's a rookie. Yeah, this is evidence that they found at a crime scene that had no reason to be there. Right. Unless the killer left it there. There is every reason to suspect that this but could they're be all a serious jaded. lead. The first idea that you have that could be the solution is almost never correct. Yeah. But again, Cohen, it's not impossible. Cohen authorizes a search of this place that they have every reason to believe could be occupied by the serial killer with only a rookie and skanky and no other backup, no other officers, nothing. Right. So <clears throat> O'Neill shows up because he can handle more sunlight than the full vampies because he's only vamp adjacent. He can show up sooner. Yep. And so he gets there and Natalie is like, listen, we don't have a ton of time. I know you know. You know I know. We all know. Okay? Listen, I know where he is and shit's about to hit the fan. And he's like, tell me more. And so they they leave. And she tells him, look, Nick is on your side. And he's like, well, that remains to be seen. But I hear what you're saying. Let's go rescue these people because I've kind of developed a soft spot for Hellman. And I don't want anything to happen to her. Skanky's there too or whatever, but he's going to be fine. So it's fine. And so they get to the, <laughs> they get to the warehouse. And <laughs> he tells Natalie to lock herself in the car. He's like, go back and lock yourself in the car where you'll be safe. And she's like, um, I don't know if that's how they do that across the pond. But he's like, listen, I know what I'm dealing with here and you don't. You need to go lock yourself in the car. We have whole ass watched Nick rip the doors off of cars. I'm pretty sure O'Neill doesn't know what he's talking about, and Natalie does. Right. She's like, I'm anywhere in the vicinity. I'm not safe. I'm not locking myself in a car I can't run from. Right. Car is not going to help. The car is just a, a trap for me. It's a momentary obstacle right for a vampire right and so we go back to nick at the raven and we see the sun setting and he's and, just waiting he's counting the seconds right and nick does his like vamp eyes he looks up and he's got his <gasps> green eyes and he dips and lacroix like oh, so cute when he tries to do the right thing and jeanette just so in, in this scene i was thinking about <laughs> Blinky from the Brave Little Toaster. Oh, okay. And okay. how all of the experiences from that movie are almost like someone trying to, like a, a cruel, jaded person saying, Blinky, look how horrible the world is. Yeah. You need to learn what life is really like. And Blinky's like, no, I know what the world is like, but I'm going to continue expecting wonderful things from the world. Yeah. And I'm going to continue acting in a way that can potentially help wonderful things happen. And and this entity is just keeps throwing horrible situations at Blanky and Blanky's just like, "Ah, that was rough. I'm just going to keep being I'm going to choose happiness and hope instead of kind of settling for the expectation that bad things are going to happen. And that's kind of how LaCroix and Nick are, where LaCroix is like, I'm trying to teach you about the world so that you can stop being disappointed. And Nick's like, no, I'm just going, I'm going to continue choosing 
hope that the world can be a better place. And LaCroix is like, well, it's not going to work. And eventually you'll learn and I can pass this wisdom on to you. Yeah. And then LaCroix just, just keeps getting frustrated because his lessons are not hitting. Yeah. Because Nick is just like, I continue to choose hope. I continue to choose optimism. That I can yeah. make the world a better place. And the Qua's like, but you can't. And <laughs> Nick's like, can't. but I can, LaCroix. Yeah. And so he leaves to try to save them. Even though LaCroix's like, you're going to be too late. They're probably all already it's dead. It's never going to work. Blink and they'll be ghosts. Blink and they'll all be gone. <laughs> and we're, O'Neill is still talking to Natalie back at the warehouse. And this is where actually O'Neill does the... Gare patented hand rub. He's doing the same hand rub where he's rubbing his palm with his opposite hand. It rubbed off on him. Wanted to point that out. And Hellman is in the warehouse. And Skanky's like, listen, let's just wrap this up. It's getting dark. I'm hungry. It's it's freaky. Let's leave. But then she finds the box. I've, quote, humored you for long enough. And so she finds a locked room and she pulls on the chain. She's like, oh, shit, locked. So she turns around, turns back, and it's unlocked. And she's like, the padlock is open. God has asked me to search this room. And so she <laughs> opens the padlock and walks in and there's a coffin shaped wooden box on the floor. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. And so she opens it and it's empty. Because he's already But the space free. behind her is not empty. Bum, bum, bum. And so she, she gets some pretty genuine sounding terrified screams in this section. Or she is screaming because she's getting chased by an evil vampire. And she runs away, but to no avail, because she gets caught and bit. And Natalie is like, no, because she sees her getting bit. Yeah, which and, distracts Jackie boy. Yeah, and then O'Neill comes up behind in Natalie's car. And so she gets out of the way, and he ends up ramming jack the ripper with natalie's car and it immediately bursts into flames because 90s cars are known for their spontaneous combustion um we know that because natalie's car also lit on fire the last time the last time it got used as a weapon in spin doctor so in spin doctor she almost dies because her car lights on fire and in this case o'neill almost dies because his car lights on fire Car fires and quicksand were just all over the fucking place. Yep. Anywhere from the mid-80s to the late 90s, they just littered the ground. Cars just burst into flames. You could be walking along a beach and just fall in it. Bye-bye. Bye. Little known fact. But what I find interesting is Nick arrives on the scene right about now. And the first thing he does is make sure Natalie is safe. Because there's a car, there's a fire, shit's going down. There's yelling. Skanky has been running around the warehouse trying to get to where every, everything's happening, and he trips and knocks himself out. Poor Skanky. Poor Kanky. Skanky. And Nick ends up saving O'Neill by ripping the car door off. Oh, it doesn't detach. Oh, okay. Ripping I the car door open. He moves his body like he's ripping the door off. But I was 
watching the door to see if it actually detached. And no, it just swings open. At this point, do you think Natalie's just buying beater cars because they're going to get used to, they're just going to get blown up anyway? If she's not after this, she needs to spend some time thinking about it. (laughs) Because Nick saves O'Neill, brings him out, and they're all kind of gathered up. And O'Neill's like, you know what, man? You're cool. We're cool. I'll keep your secret. You have my thanks. I won't try to kill End you or my nothing. Secrecy. Yeah. I won't try to kill you or nothing this time. And Skanky walks out and he's like, Oh my God, what happened? Because Hellman's dead on the ground. There's a car on fire. <laughs> Nick's suddenly here. So is Natalie and O'Neill, which he didn't know. And can we pause a moment and think about the emotional fallout of this moment for Skanky? Because he was given the job of protecting this adorable baby recruit. Right. He was there to escort. Yeah. He was the chaperone. He was the chaperone for this. And he, she died. She died on his watch. She straight up died on his watch in a way that will never be fully explained to him. So he won't know the bad, why the bad guy was the way he was. He won't know how she died the way she died. It's like, it's done. And he's never going to know. I mean, this is devastating, right? For somebody like season two Skanky, who is a father and who had every reason to feel protective towards this woman who he was given the job to protect. And then let's talk about Cohen's responsibility in what happened because she didn't send appropriate yeah. staff Cohen to did investigate not this. Send in a like a response level four. Like she didn't send enough people based on the level of suspicion generated by the evidence for this search. Right. And if you're going to humor the rookie detective and say, okay, you made a decent argument for why this place is worth investigating. Now I'm going to follow through on my part and actually treat this as a serious part of the investigation rather than, oh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. Go do your thing. This was a serial killer of enough clout and severity that an actual Interpol officer was sent to assist. They didn't call him and check with him before going for the search. They didn't. (laughs) this is a not just a plot hole this is like this is a lot if you really break this down right she put skanky and hellman in danger she exposed skanky to emotional harm and possible physical harm and then she's still ribbing him about the yeah. report. So when we go back and she's After like hellman has died yes and she's talking to this is our wrap up at at the station, which we always have. And Cohen is talking to Natalie and she goes, don't worry, your car reimbursement like forms will go through soon. I recommend you don't have Skanky fill them out. And Skanky's like, haha, I'll get the Robinson report finished, which is kind of the follow through of our Skanky subplot. But boy, does it fucking fall flat because you're like, right in the I'm context sorry. of, are we, this talking? is literally like the same day. That Hellman died. Yeah, they're like, oh, man, lost another rookie. Oh, oh well. Shoot. Hey, did you fill out that form correctly this time? 
I'm sorry, what? Not only that, but she's already buried. Right? Because Nat is talking to O'Neill as he's leaving. And he's like, well, I got one more thing to do. And then I'm going to catch the red-eye flight home. And she's like, honestly, I'd really like to study you. And he's like, well, now I'm never going to be able to concentrate on the in-flight movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Nick is going to be very sorry he missed you. He should be in soon. I'm afraid I have to run. I have a few things to do before I catch the red-eye home. Another night traveler. You know, I would really like to study you. It's not a fact. Hmm. Well... I'll never be able to concentrate on the in-flight movie now. (laughs) As much as it pains me, I hope we never meet again. And then we cut, he's like, but I'll go, I gotta go, I got stuff I gotta do. And then we cut to Jeanette and Nick at the Raven. And this is when she has her, like, plunging neckline, like, suit jacket with no shirt on underneath. Multiple layers of sheer fabric as a shirt. I think there's no shirt. I think well, she's I think wearing... that is the shirt. That's yeah. the top. Yeah. Yeah. I think she's just wearing like a suit jacket that's like buttoned. And so we have like side boob on either side with this like plunging bead necklace that falls in between, which is why I think she's not wearing anything. Right. Rachel's because like, of the way the wow, necklace... did you see that plunging neckline? And I said, yes, I'm very aware of that's it. That's like I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> I mean, it's really pretty on her, but this was risque for... But of course, they're probably relying on the CRT TV to make you think right. It's a Everything's shirt. gonna be blurry. Yeah, yeah. And they're kind of having their wrap up where they're talking about like you know Jack the Ripper sucked. Maybe next time if we ask you to kill a really really evil guy, you should do that. And Nick's like, I still don't accept that this was my fault, but I understand the point that you're making here. <laughs> and then we go back, and O'Neill is at the graveyard because Bridget Hellman has already been. Buried. Right, there's already a tombstone with her name on it. Which, okay. <clears throat> maybe maybe there was more time in between the wrap-up scene at the office and the events at the mill. Well, in I Will Repay, Nick just bites Natalie's brother. And he comes back without having to do anything but just not be fully drained. Right. And he comes back immediately. Right. In this episode, it's implied that they have to be drained and then drink the vampire's blood, like the sire's blood. Okay, that one makes more sense anyway. But if you still come back immediately, would you have time to be buried? Was she embalmed? Was an autopsy performed? Well, if Natalie was doing it... well. If Natalie was doing it, then she would know the risks because she was there with Nick and her brother. Yeah. And she if, she would have taken measures to prevent if the during transformation an, from completing. If during an autopsy, you remove the heart as part of the autopsy, does that kill the person? Does that stop them from transforming into a vampire? Because they don't always put them back. Sometimes they'll put them in baggies. Right. In the in the yeah, but cavity. they don't they right. don't rearrange. They just like right. They stuff. don't cut everything free and then just yeah stick it back in place. Right. And often they will take like they cut along the hairline and they'll fold the skin back right. to like 
check the bone and then they'll like cut and open the brain and stuff. And then they'll lay the, the skin back over. Mm-hmm. Does that count as decapitation? Anyway, these are the kinds of things that I think about when I watch these shows. <laughs> <laughs> um, so beside the, wow, we really didn't think through the implications of having just Skanky and Hellman go to this warehouse thing at the end. Overall, this is a fairly funny episode. I mean, it's funny in that it's not supposed to be funny, but funny. But like Jack the Ripper, seriously, someone was like, oh, God, it's sweeps week. What are we going to do? And they were like, I know, I know, I know. Jack the Ripper. And he's a vampire. And he's a vampire. And, uh, again, they move some stickies because this is this is a little bit we've re- we've hashed this before. And we're really desperately trying to make this Nick's fault. And I think even the casual viewer is going to be like, well, no, he didn't. That is that is totally LaCroix's fault. That is totally LaCroix's fault. And Jeanette could have easily been like, look, I'll take five minutes. I'll go decapitate this guy. Then I'll bring back fresh blood. It'll be fine. What are you going to do? Die in five minutes? You're just going to be in agony for five minutes. It's fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, LaCroix. It's fine. Because LaCroix gets whole ass staked at one point and survives for a while. Right. So if he can survive for being... Well, if he can come back from being staked and burned and melted, he could have waited five minutes while Jeanette went and cut this guy's head off. He was just off. feigning a dramatic illness to in an attempt to sway Nick. This feels like they were trying to get jack the ripper in here and they were trying to relate jack they couldn't have an unrelated flashback in the jack the ripper episode right nobody's here for that they all want some okay what's the tie-in how did how did nick know jack the ripper right that's what they want right and so that's what they tried to give us but there's not a believable tie-in here i mean we kind of, you know what? It is. It it's is believable as, that I, I Nick like feels it's, guilty. Yeah, it's as close as I feel like you could get. If we had made it more like, I don't know, like Nick and Jack had been friends or something. Yeah, I, you know what I would have liked better if if one Jack the Ripper hadn't looked like a weird rotting old dude. Right. I don't know what that what? was about. None of the other vampires look like they're rotting. Yeah. If we had, if he'd given, been given a line. Hey. At any point. Words. Words. If he had been like a character, like an undercover character, like we didn't know that that was Jack the Ripper, but it really was, that mm-hmm. would have been felt, that would have felt more sinister. Yeah. He feels very Loch Ness monstery, whatever, mythical monster. He doesn't feel sinister. But almost mindless. Yeah, he feels like a mind, like the blob or something, where it, it'll kill you just because you're in proximity. Right, he's because... an animal rather yeah. than a... Yeah, and we could He's not... An animal that kills things isn't evil. That, it just... That's its nature. Right. The evil comes from maliciousness. Right, if you wanted me to believe that this guy was so evil, it made LaCroix sick. You gotta sell me that a little bit better. From where I'm sitting, LaCroix is far more evil because he just got a bunch. He got more people killed in like in a stunt in one stunt to try to-, to try to get Nicholas back than this guy murdered in the entire episode. So I'll point that out. Yeah. So that maybe that's my problem with it is they wanted this to be like, guys, it's Jack the Ripper. He's so evil. And then they were like, you can tell he's evil because he doesn't brush his teeth. Like that was. <laughs> <laughs> He hasn't okay. washed his forehead okay. in a hundred you know years. This, this is us wanting to 
2023 level writing. And they had one episode to get this across. We get only one, one and only two-parter in all of Forever Night. Is that Dark City? 70 episodes. And we get, oh, two. You're correct. We get two two two-parters, period. And that's it. If you want continuous storyline, that is all you get. Two of them. We get the pilot. We get the pilot and we get the opening two episodes of season three. Okay. And that is it. Black Buddha part one and Black Buddha part two. Black Buddha? Yeah. I'm not even going to, you know what? Mm-mm. <laughs> we will get there, son. Although there's tons of episodes in season two. I didn't realize this, but there's like 27. There's significantly more episodes. Well, standard 90s TV series. It was TV like 26, season was 26 to 28. Yeah. Yeah. So got a long way to go we'll get there i'm not don't even ask me hashtag spoiler free life okay just trust it's gonna be real good okay the titanic is involved that's all i'm gonna say that's all i'm gonna say uh so anyway we're just gonna leave it there before i reveal too much but we have an instagram did anybody know that did you know that we have an instagram Sometimes I post new episode things on there the day the new episode comes out. Sometimes it's later. I just like to mix it up. Keep people guessing. That's my mission. 176 followers. Woo! We have 176 followers. And we're in the process of figuring out. I like our movie episodes. I love our movie episodes. But I want to do something more with our movie episodes. So we're kind of in the process of thinking that through. If you have a suggestion, please feel free to shoot us one. We have emails. They still work. I am Rachel at strangeandbeautiful.club, and Matt is Matt at strangeandbeautiful.club, or you can email us at thehosts at strangeandbeautiful.club, or you can hop on over to the Patreon, which you can actually join for free just to see the things that I update on there, or you can pay and get some of the extra content that we put over there when we put extra content over there. You can even join the Discord. You could meet Meg, the legendary the Meg mythical the legendary <laughs> the mythical Meg and Ryan um and now Alan too i both look forward to and feel sad about the day when i cannot name every single patreon by name <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know you could help make that happen be both my my ruin and my salvation i'm just kidding <laughs> let's try to figure out two cool opposite words to use and those are the ones that came to mind but anyway i just want to thank everybody for enjoying these forever night episodes we certainly enjoy recording them and i am really glad that you guys are enjoying listening to them because they are our most listened to episode yeah which is why i was thinking you know what we need to do i mean the movies are good it's great but there's a lot of movie podcasts and lots of people do a really good job on them i just think we need to do something fun so we're going to work that out. We're going to work that out. And then I'll let everybody know. Or I won't. I don't know. Maybe I'll play it close to the chest. You know. Maybe it'll just be a surprise when it happens. <laughs> Maybe I'll forget we were going to do it. I'll just keep doing <laughs> what we're doing. <laughs> then no know. one will be surprised. Keep people guessing. That's my motto. <laughs> so anyway. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love and who you love love this is an inclusive podcast i want everybody to know that that's what i was going for here (laughs) we love all of you be who you are until next time friends Bye. bye
You are listening to a Strange and Beautiful Network podcast, a network of shows focusing on unscripted discussions that promote positive but honest engagement with all the weird and wonderful topics that make our hearts happy. I want to take a moment to express my heartfelt gratitude to all our listeners. Your continuous support and engagement mean the world to us. So if you're enjoying the show, make sure to spread the love. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Strange and Beautiful Network to stay updated on the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes peaks, and exclusive content from all our shows. You can also find additional ways to support this show on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash strange and beautiful network. By becoming a patron, you'll gain access to bonus episodes, early releases, our Discord channel, and other exciting perks. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.